welcome to St James, a Scottish Episcopal Church in Leith. This podcast features edited highlights from our Sunday morning service held on March 26, 2023. If you'd like to subscribe using your podcatcher of choice, the details of the feed are on our communal worship page on our website. To find out how to join us and for news and information, please visit www.stjamesleith.org.uk. A very warm welcome to our service this morning, the fifth Sunday in Lent. So whether you're here in the building or at home in this country or a little further away, and if you're here for the first time, you are very welcome. Ian, our rector, is on holiday. Geoffrey will be giving us a reflection a little later on on a very human Jesus. So we begin our service by opening our hearts and minds and as we light the candle and hear the sound of the singing bells. We come this morning from scattered lives to meet with God. Let us recognize God's presence with us. Let us worship worship God God together. Gather us, O God, and we will know your life that makes us one. Gather us, O God, and we will celebrate our difference, variety, and uniqueness. Gather us, O God, and we will give you the pain of our brokenness. Gather us, O God, and we will share the gifts of your Spirit. Trinity of love, bind us as one, that our brokenness be healed by you, that our fears be held by you, that our gifts be used by you that our lives be offered to you, so may the world believe. Amen. We stand for our opening song. Very appropriate first line this morning for our opening song. Here in this place, new light is streaming.
daring to open to God, each other and ourselves. We offer in silence the gift of our imperfection and we acknowledge our part in the pain of the world. Come home to yourself and to each other. May all that is unfree in you and between any of us be released. And may you and we blossom into a future graced with love. Amen. setting for our psalm this morning and the music group will sing the verses and then if you could join in with us and sing um, the refrain which is in italics but how does it go I hear you say (laughs) Um, so the music group will start off singing the chorus so you've heard it through and then we'll go verse chorus verse chorus
The Gospel this morning is taken from John chapter 11, verses 1 to 6, and 17 to 45. Glory to Christ our Saviour. Now, a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent a message to Jesus. Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness doesn't lead to death. Rather, it is for God's glory so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Accordingly, though Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, after having heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. When Jesus did arrive, he found that Lazarus was already, had already been in the tomb four days. Now, Bethany was near Jerusalem, some two miles away, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them about their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him while Mary stayed at home. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask of him. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you're the Messiah, the Son of God, the one coming into the world. When she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary and told her privately, The teacher is here and is calling for you. When she heard it, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come to the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. The Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary get up quickly and go out. They followed her because they thought that she was going to the tomb to weep there. When Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she knelt at his feet and said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. He said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus began to weep. So the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, again greatly disturbed, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, already there is a stench because he's been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus looked upwards and said, Father, 
I thank you for having heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I have said this for the sake of the crowd standing here, so that they may believe that you sent me. And when he said this, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet bound with strips of cloth, and his face wrapped in a cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what Jesus did, believed in him. This is the gospel. Good news for all. Praise, Praise to Christ. Christ. I'll start with a clipping from The, um, from the Guardian about um, twisted hot cross buns. Uh, Adrian um, Childs writes, um, I'm cross about hot cross buns, a blamelessly simple seasonal offering bearing multiple messages of joy. Christ is risen, the days are getting longer, winter is over, spring is coming, take your pick. Something for everyone. So my why mess with hot cross buns? On our shelves now are to be found red velvet hot cross buns. Cheese, tomato, and oregano, hot cross buns. Salted caramel blondie, hot cross buns. And West Country mature cheddar and stout, hot cross buns. What more do you want? He finishes, um, well, there's precedent for hot cross bun legislation. Restrictions on the sale were imposed in the reigns of Elizabeth I and James I. It's time to look again and stamp out the twisting, which is verging on heretical. <laughs> As we prepare for uh, Easter with or without hot cross buns, uh, the, raise, the story of the raising of Lazarus gives us a powerful foreshadowing of the passion and resurrection of Christ. And our reading um, is again from the Gospel of John. Uh, in which his masterful storytelling is woven with dense and profound theological understanding. And I can't hope to do more than tease out a couple of threads from this uh, rich tapestry. Um, I'm going to start with the theme that's indicated in our service title, Very Human Jesus. Now in modern uh, Christian theology, this is not radical. It's widely accepted, but of course the idea of two natures in one, that Jesus was fully human and fully divine, um, is a, a mystery, it's a paradox that's as old as the first Christian church council. Uh, does it make sense? No. Um, is it offensive? Yes, of course, to people of other faiths and all kinds of secular thinkers. Does it allow immeasurably profound and healing worship of a Trinitarian God, well, I, I, I believe so. The, the film, The Last Temptation of Christ, was made in 1988, is based on the novel of the same name by uh, Katsunzakis. And the director, Martin Scorsese, is a Roman Catholic who said his aim was to make a film with a very human Jesus, in contrast to the uh, highly deified uh, Christ of his Catholic upbringing. He said, I wanted to make a picture about a historical figure named Jesus, a spiritual guide, but also a human being, surrounded by 
other recognizable human beings as opposed to wax figures. Now, while the film does take some liberties with the biblical narrative, it does portray Jesus as a fully human, even flawed individual who struggles with doubt and temptation. And that portrayal is not meant to diminish the divinity of Jesus, but to emphasize his humanity and the sacrifice he made for us. It tries to show that even the Son of God experienced doubt and fear, yet remained faithful to his Father's will. Unfortunately, what many Christians found offensive was the delirium uh, dream sequence uh, at the end when Jesus in agony on the cross is offered by Satan an alternative ending. Domestic bliss with marriage, happy kids, tender lovemaking with Mary Magdalene. And arguably William uh, Dafoe's portrayal of a kind of California hippie racked with doubt and uncertainty was rather too weak and unheroic for American uh, Christians who protested in droves. But it does seem that John's Jesus is quite otherworldly and superhuman. Do you, do you feel that sometimes with his signs of power and his foreknowledge and his omniscient predictions, a kind of divinity is emphasized? I wonder if it brings its own problems in creating a great gulf between his nature and ours. But, as we see in this story, when it matters most, when faced with the heart-rending grief of his friends, at the center of the story that we have heard, there is a very human, a very emotional figure. And seven or eight times in this story, John brings this out. Uh, verse 3, he whom you love is ill. Verse 5, though Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. 11, our friend Lazarus. Verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping, he was greatly disturbed. Verse 35, Jesus wept. Verse 36, they said, see how he loved him. Verse 38, Jesus greatly disturbed. 43, he cried out. This is not a Stoic philosopher. This is not an Eastern sage displaying Zen-like calm. This is not a Northern European like me suppressing his emotions, probably for fear of losing control. This is a, a middle-aged man raised in a culture of emotional display and free verbal expression. Attending weddings where wine flows freely, sharing hilarious meals with publicans and sinners, furiously objecting to the money changers in the temple. Well, it helps me to step back and to not make God in my own image, not to assume that what our family or culture or society prizes is universal. I need to allow Jesus to be very much in and of his own time and place and culture. And so, in this story, there is a man who loved and is loved in very human ways. He was clearly attached deeply to the family in Bethany. 
Well, some ask, why did Jesus delay going to Bethany for two days if he loved Lazarus and his sisters so much? Some commentators suggest that he he was possibly wrestling in prayer for two days with difficult decisions. Bethany was only two miles from Jerusalem. And as his disciples point out, he, they all will be in serious danger from the Judean authorities if they return there. John tells us that Jesus knew the attention that a miracle sign would draw. He would certainly put himself on the path to martyrdom. He may may well have realized, too, that Lazarus would also be threatened uh, with death by the Judeans so very soon after being brought back to life. And verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping, And the Judeans who came with her also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. Or a translation, he gave way to such distress of spirit as made his body tremble. The verb rendered he was deeply moved is an unusual one. It signifies a a loud inarticulate noise and and its proper uses appears to be for the snorting of horses when used of people. It, It can usually denote anger. Why is Jesus so angry and disturbed as he approaches the tomb? It's a tough one. He he couldn't be angry with Mary or Martha. Could it be at the mourners for this extravagant hypocrisy? Or, Or is it that death has taken a dear friend? Or does he feel that a miracle is being forced on him? A bit like the wedding of Cana. My hour has not yet come. But this uh, would not fit with the way John's Gospel presents Jesus as the master of every situation. The commentators are divided. I'm going to go with those who suggest that he is immersed in the grief of his friends, Mary and Martha. But something more. As he approached the tomb, as he takes in the scene around him, the traditional wailing cacophony, uh, mourning a death in the, in, the, in the midst of this, is he, also, is he also taken by a profound sense of the tragedies of all of human life, the power of death, the great disruptor, all creation enslaved to, to decay, as Paul writes in Romans 8. All creation is groaning as it waits to be set free. Now, the divine Jesus will know of God's plan and the redemption to come, but the human Jesus, did he not feel? Did he not identify with the apparent finality of death? Did he not have just as keen a sense as we do of the futility and the tragedy and the awful despair that yawns before us as a great pit when we're faced with the death of someone we love? I, I think he did. And then, then we have verse 35, famed as the shortest verse in the Bible, when it's translated, Jesus wept. A different word is used for weeping here than that of Mary and, and the Judeans. The word used of them means a, a loud demonstrative form of mourning, a wailing. Uh, the verb used here signifies rather a quiet weeping. He didn't wail loudly, but he was deeply moved. Well, as I've, um, as I've said, I tend to shy away, shy away from raw 
um, e e emotion. I guess I don't like the lack of control. I feel um, exposed and vulnerable. I value uh, serenity and a calm exterior. Um, and I know many would call me repressed. But what if the broken, what if the imperfect is the more to be prized? As we learned in the beginning of Lent, kintsugi is the Japanese art of putting broken pottery pieces back together with gold and precious metals. And we have this fine example on the cover of our Lent diary. And how beautiful is someone who has been mended, put back together, yet whose tears are still part of who they are. And weeping is not a weakness, I tell myself, any more than fear is a sin. We need not hide our grief. Um, some of you will know that our, our dear friend Andrew Barr died two weeks ago. Um, he'd had a fall at home. Uh, Andrew, along with his wife Liz, attended many of our lockdown Zoom services. And his funeral is, uh, I believe, this Thursday at St. Mary's Cathedral. Andrew Barr produced hundreds of Songs of Praise programs for the BBC. And he was also the convener of the Scottish Episcopal Church's Liturgy Committee. And um, I'm hopeful, I'm sure that the service will be rich and profound as it allows those attending to express and share their grief before our loving God. Andrew was a dear, dear man, gentle and kind. He was enormously helpful to me in my work. I don't know what to do with grief and mourning, always. For some of us, uh, it'll be, uh, as in the first verse of the Psalm 130, out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord, out of the depths I cry to you, which was also the title of a book that Andrew wrote about funeral services. In it, he quoted a text about grief from a Buddhist tradition. Grief is a wound that needs attention in order to heal. To work through and complete grief means to face our feelings openly and honestly to express and release our feelings fully, and to tolerate and accept our feelings for however long it takes for the wound to heal. We fear that once acknowledged, grief will bowl us over. The truth is that grief experienced does dissolve. Grief unexpressed is grief that lasts indefinitely. The grief and anger of Jesus was overtaken, as our grief should ultimately be by the core message in John of the raising of Lazarus, by the taken-at-face-value impact of this story, which is Jesus is Lord over death, and before his majesty, death must depart. Oh, no, we don't want that one. <laughs> and that happens in a dramatic foreshadowing of the glory of God that will be revealed in the death and the resurrection of Jesus. As the stone over 
the tomb of Lazarus was rolled away and, and astoundingly contradicting Martha, there was no smell. Did, did Jesus have a presentiment of the climactic victory over death his own resurrection would be? I cannot really say. But the story's proclamation of that Easter victory over death forms the heart of the good news of the gospel that our life is not ultimately defined by death's nihilistic denial of our significance and worth and that sin and death shall not have the last word. And many are the ways in doctrine and art and poetry that the church has tried to pro proclaim this. And in, in his book, Andrew Barr quotes um, the late um, Basil Hume, Cardinal Archbishop of Westminster. And I'd like to finish by reading that. He wrote, we each, we each have a story, or part of one at any rate, about which we have never been able to speak to anyone. Fear of being misunderstood. Inability to understand ignorance of the darker side of our hidden lives, or even shame, make it very difficult for many people. Our true story is not told, or oh, only half of it is. What a relief it will be to whisper freely and fully into the compassionate ear of God. And this is what God has always wanted. He waits for us to come home. He receives us, his prodigal children, with a loving embrace. And in that embrace, we start to tell him our story. I now have no fear of death. I look forward to this friend leading me to a world where I shall know God and be known by him as his beloved child. Amen. Let's turn to prayer. So our response in our prayers, I will say, Jesus, in your mercy, and if you could say, hear our prayer. Jesus, in your mercy, hear our prayer. So let's pray. Loving and compassionate Jesus, it's so good to be here today, to be reminded of your great love for each of us, that you're our true friend waiting for us. You are God in human form. We thank you for showing us how wonderful humans are and can be. And we pray today for our world, our world which has so often lost sight of the human, where we've, we've allowed barriers barriers of technology, barriers of hatred to come between us. We pray for our leaders, whoever they are, that they might not, never forget their humanity, that they are called to care for and serve their peoples. We pray today for our country of Scotland. We pray that whoever becomes this week our new First Minister might be blessed by you with courage, with wisdom to do 
what is right for the people of this country. We pray too for wherever in this world there's conflict from Ukraine to Myanmar and many places in between. May those who are involved, who are perpetrators, may they see the other not as impersonal numbers or as enemies, but as fellow human beings longing like them for peace. Jesus, in your mercy, hear our prayer. He whom you love is ill. Lord Jesus, as we remember today how you loved Lazarus, you loved Martha and you loved Mary, we pray for those we love who are suffering. We pray for the bereaved, for the dying, for the ill, for the unhappy, for the disoriented. May they know that you, as their true friend, will not give up on them. So we pray for Liz Barr. We pray for Yusuf. And a moment of quiet, bring to loving Jesus those on your hearts. Jesus, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Finally, we pray for ourselves. Cardinal Hume said, what a relief it will be to whisper freely and fully into the compassionate ear of God. Jesus, you know all about us. You know us from start to finish, from head to toe. What a relief that is. And it will be to whisper into your compassionate ear. Thank you, Lord, that you know us not just neutrally, dispassionately, but with tender love, that you receive us with a warm embrace. Help us to know how to welcome that, how to receive that. Help us not to hide anything from you, to remove whatever stands in the way. Help us as a church and individually to be real with you, to be straightforward with you, to bring our whole selves to you, just as we are. So in a moment of quiet, I invite you to say to Jesus, whatever it is you want to say this morning. Jesus, in your mercy, hear our prayer.
hear us, most merciful Father, and send your Holy Spirit upon us and upon this bread and this wine, that overshadowed by his life-giving power, they may be the body and blood of your Son, and that we may be kindled with the fire of your love and renewed for the service of your kingdom. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, with whom and in whom, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all honour and glory be to you, Lord of all ages, world without end. Amen. Amen. people, broken things for broken people. Come, let us receive them.
Give us the will to be the servants of others, as you were the servant of all, and gave up your life and died for us, but are alive and reign now and forever. Amen. Now go in peace.